0: And supportive bookstores. Find more info on the KPFA website about March 18th, Tom Hayden, Gloria La Riva, Cuba. And hey, you're listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, online at kpfa.org. The time is now 3 p.m. Up next. Cover to cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy ending. divide up those in dark. Is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw now? Today is March the third, two thousand and fifteen. This coming Sunday is International Women's Day. (laughs) As Laverne said to Shirley back in the day, "Is that all we get a day?" In fact. Someone has decided that we get the whole month of March. That's one twelfth of the year. That's cool. Anyway, this Sunday, March the 8th, we do plan a whole day. 24 hours of exclusively female voices. I've got a spot, a live spot, uh, half an hour, between 4 and 5 in the afternoon. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, and at five o'clock, there's a party. They're throwing a party for, <laughs> for elders. Some of the women here at KPFA, uh, uh, are no longer young, right? So they're going to give us a cake and some ice cream. Anyway, between four and five, I will be interviewed by our new program director, Laura Privis. Now, I first met Laura. 20 years ago, way back in 1995, during a period of changes, I I call that uh, year the, the purge of the elders, uh, 1995. It was decided, after much fuss, that KPFA needed to update our format uh We had had a crazy quilt of shows, a cacophony of voices, but it was believed by the folks who decide these things, certainly not me, that it would be uh, more, what is that, up-to-date if we scheduled the same show at the same time. You know, uh... Listeners, they said, could then get used to hearing, say, Jerry Brown uh, at four o'clock in the afternoon every weekday. Habit, habit, yes, they said radio is about habit. Thus, my weekly spot would have to go. Now, Jerry Brown was certainly a voice. Much admired, uh, still is. Maybe that radio spot helped keep his... uh his thoughts, his ideas, uh, in the air, certainly maybe played a role in his uh, liberal political journey. Hmm. Yes, uh, I think, I think he enjoyed himself, uh, and kind of, you know, uh, kind of tickled the minds of the voters. Uh, of course, KPFA listeners are all over the map, but I suppose we could say say that most of them, well. Not all of them want to be called liberals. When I was young, liberal was a kind of a kind of a sneer, you know. <laughs> it it's a completely completely weird word. Uh, we just said, "Oh, he's only a liberal," whereas nowadays that seems to be uh, what is that uh, a black mark, a red mark? Hillary Clinton, think Hillary Clinton, liberal. Anyway, the upshot. Of that brouhaha at KPFA was that many voices had to be left out. Uh, I remember, let's see, the oldest programmer was Bill Mandel, I think. Many people were upset about that. Uh, Anyway, weekly shows were so different. You know, those of us who were only on once a week and sometimes only every other week... uh, the programmers, you know, they were so different from one another that it apparently confused the audience, of course. That's what made it fun. Uh, you never, never knew what uh, eclectic item was going to pop up. But what do I know? I I found a spot on underground radio, uh, Berkeley Free Radio, it was called. It was a sometime thing. We've lost it. Uh, their signal <laughs> went about eight miles. Uh, I had two hours to play with. It was like, um uh, was kid stuff, but I really enjoyed it. Call-ins and, you know, two hours of Kurt Weill and Bertolt Brecht, and then I'd just, you know, turn on and off Three Penny Opera, uh, the songs in the Three Penny Opera Are wonderful themes for just about every progressive issue you can think of, particularly the women. I love Pirate Jenny, you know the one. Where she finally says, Oh kill 'em all. I thought of Medea to play Medea when she says Oh let the whole house crash. Anyway. Uh I used the nineteen fifties recording. It was a Broadway performance. Maybe you could remember uh b Arthur <laughs> played the uh the heavy duty woman in that anyway. I finally got ten minutes on the morning show now that turned out to be uh a very good time. I had the most listeners I've ever had. Philip Muldery, that was so nice of him. Anyway, uh, you know, I think that drive time is probably the best for, uh, what is it, for the number of listeners. And uh, back in the 80s, I did have a spot on Traffic Jam in the late afternoon. Now, that was also a very convenient time, people driving home from work. Ginny Burson gave me that spot, uh, and I was to review movies. I called that spot Mind Over Media. Back in those days, we had so many, uh, uh, what is it, women's programs that were labeled women's programs. Things like Majority Report. My favorite title was the show Unlearning to Not Speak. That makes people think I think. <laughs> anyway, uh... Yes, Philip Muldry and the other folks on the morning show did give me the uh, spot for, oh, it was to be five to ten minutes. We kept arguing over whether it was five or six. Anyway, I was to be a culture critic once a week. In the midst of all this, Laura Privis, now an integral part of this station. Well, she's been around here for years, uh she invited me to do a weekly show on CalEx. She was, at that time, in 1995, uh, doing a radio program on women and the arts. It's the radio station over at UC Berkeley, K-A-L-X. Uh, now that was a lot of fun, and it even let me practice a little scholarship. You know, uh, University of California education. Both Laura and I uh, are great lovers of history. I'm a a mythomaniac also. Uh, Where else can we look for cause and effect uh, for the reasons why? You know, the past is always present. Now, I like to look at the history of theater, of drama, of plays, you know the performance arts back 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 in the most uh what is it uh preliterate age it was dance, dance was the first theater uh then comes the twentieth century. I remember thinking the other night watching a film, yes, what was it Ronald Reagan used to say, film is for. Ever right you are. Ronnie's still there up on the screen. Uh huh. Anyway, the twentieth century saw this explosion of film uh television and of course now the arrival of the information uh explosion. I used to say that I was just roadkill on the information highway. I'm on the off ramp but the fact is we are still soaked in this stuff uh stained with some of it uh I think that the movies on TV are still kind of a I don't know what they're calling it these days kind of a universal consciousness kind of a kind of a world brain I don't know uh memory yes it's the memory of Generations you know whether you 're the Bogart generation or the Garbo generation or the Brando crowd anyway now it may not be Ibsen, and it sure as hell isn 't Shakespeare, but just think about it. Think about a hundred years from now uh, these actors and these uh images, I think they will go down through the coming centuries. Uh, what the future will make of them, I don't know a thing that fascinates me now is the number of movies that were sneered at or ignored when I was younger, somehow or another, they have a uh, surfaced you know kind of kind of strange. Somebody said mud settles, but you know some stuff comes up to the top, and there it is, uh, movies that we never thought were very important, uh, and now they're on television uh, night after night. Anyway, if you dig, you know, art and ideas and civilization is there, it's, you know, uh, on the airwaves... And a lot of it is free. Of course, my own particular uh, problem is that I think we need uh, a critical faculty. We need to educate people so that they know what they're looking at. You know, when they look at Reagan or Rambo, I think they need to see uh, the context. Anyway, I thought, something called the hollow crown last year it uh, just knocked me out and i thought with this with this show uh you could educate uh oh gosh uh, you could educate a high school class uh for years jeremy irons plays one of the roles it's shakespeare of course and he said how important it is to see shakespeare done well uh I think of the awful productions that I sat through as a child, and it was pretty hard to think that the stuff was, uh, what, sacred text. Uh, the Hollow Crown restored my faith in in poetry, in verse, in drama. In historical imagination, as a matter of fact, uh, after all, it's been 400 years, and Interpreting Shakespeare and his history plays, you know, while giving an aesthetic value to the Elizabethan era in which those plays came to life. That's a neat trick. The Hollow Crown actually it's one, two, three, four of the history plays. My favorite was uh Richard the Second, a play that is ignored a lot, but they went down Henry the Fourth, Part One, Part Two, Henry the Fifth and uh I bought The Hollow Crown, well, my son gifted it to me, and I still watch it, uh maybe every other month, you know, when I feel that the theater is dying, that's an old cliche. Uh, when I was a schoolgirl, we always said, the theater's dying, meaning that uh, we'd had a few bad plays, and that, you know, the people who go to Broadway shows just want to See, you know, cats or something, uh, that they don't like thinking plays. Uh, I don't worry about that anymore. Uh, these sitcoms and game shows and all the reality shows, I, I know that there's, uh, what is that, Um uh, a world of junk out there and that they do destroy the values of some of our young people. I, I don't know whether they destroy them. I think they just ignore them. Uh, real life, actually, the tragic world that the kids see on the news. Now, that, that, I think, is another story. Hmm. Teachers and parents, I know, they, they seem to take infinite pains to help their kids distinguish reality from theater. Apparently, uh, kids I don't remember the age they gave was it four or five children very young children just don't know what's a story uh fiction what's fact and uh grown-ups have to sit down and tell them these things and uh maybe maybe just be wise wise adults avoid mass media entirely in a child's early years I certainly did i put the TV in the closet. I told the kids it was broken. Once they were school children, they began to stop off at their friend's house after school to check out, you know, Star Trek was, I think, their favorite. And uh, I pulled out the TV set at that point, had a little black and white set, and I made them critique the shows. They had to write something about every show they saw. So they just threw up their hands and went out to play ball. Anyway, uh, In the last couple of years, I've watched maybe half a dozen animated films, uh, short ones. And those, well, they seem to be at least as much fun as children's picture books. Uh, Japanese animation is breathtaking. There were three uh, animated films up for Oscars this year. The one about the sea was... Very, very dreamy, I would say that it was ours. Uh, anyway, for the kids, I think it's kind of like watching a fish go. <laughs> you know, it's like the Sesame Street format. Uh, the first storybooks, kids can learn their letters, numbers, things like that. Uh, of course, the thing missing from the screens, the thing missing is the voice of the parent, the sound of the parent's voice. I used to recommend what I called breast reading, kind of like breast feeding, you know. Uh, You hold the child and you read the little story. Then they fall asleep. It doesn't seem to me that there's any question but what. This is the way... Uh, kids get their language when they're, uh, little guys. And, uh, see, the presence of the adult is what it's all about. Uh, the affection. I think, you know, the grown ups respond along with the child. Now, some parents do sit there and answer questions and laugh and, uh, you know, help the kid. Understand what they're seeing, they react. I used to just turn it off and tell them to go for a walk. Older children certainly learn a lot more. These social values on t v <laughs> pretty funny i I keep watching children and i see uh I see television characters being imitated and I guess. I guess it's not good, but it's certainly not much different than my uh, efforts to be either Betty Davis or... Let's see, for a whole year, I was Judy Holliday in Born Yesterday. I imitated her, and I used to get up in front of my high school and uh, be the MC in the auditorium as uh, Judy Holliday nearly ruined my voice. Uh, So many things imprinted uh, on those of us growing up in the 40s. I still wash dishes the way that I saw it done in The Good Earth. You know, Pearl Buck's story that they made a movie with uh, Paul Muni, I think. Anyway, Louise Rainier played Ola, the the wonderful woman in The Good Earth. Uh, At the end, her husband realizes that she, Ola is the earth, you know. Uh, he's under this little tree that she planted when they were first married, and uh, he gets it. Yes, he gets, I guess, what we call the feminine principle. Uh, that actress died recently, Louise Rainier. I <laughs> I think she was a 100 years old, maybe a little more than that, because I saw her on her 100th birthday. Uh, hmm. I picked up an awful lot of information from all those films. Let's see, Louise Rayner, the thing that uh, I remember most uh, was the the role of Anna Held, uh, a real actress. Uh, She played Anna Held in a movie called The Great Ziegfeld. I have no idea how realistic it was, but... uh, complete with French accent, she was just a wonderful character, Uh, what a trip that was, she did a lot of historical films, Um, I think she's much too, what do you call, eccentric to be in films today, Uh, anyway, I think that a lot of what I learned was not altogether stupid, I guess, I think that the the Lauren McCall pose was the most obnoxious. Um, I think that was my favorite. Uh, I thought it was sophisticated. Now, the, uh, the 1940s, 30s, 40s, all those movies had what I feel were sentimental values. Some people call it family values. Uh... Uh, The critics certainly didn't like some of them. They called them uh, weepers, women's pictures, smarmy. Uh, Yes, indeed. Uh, hmm. It wasn't exactly like romance novels, but there's a a touch of that. Anyway, Charlotte Bronte said once that nothing refines like affection. Now, in the old movies, the characters saw the light. you remember they learned to love sooner or later. Now, I was perfectly happy to empathize uh naturally some of the better movies. they died in the end, but they learned they were what you call that self realized they they individuated they got it. It was very satisfying uh I don't know. The sophisticated, really sophisticated modern films can get pretty grim. Uh, today's movies are a recipe for <laughs> not just disaster, but mayhem, uh, nihilism, narcissism. Uh, apparently, the big money is in the films made for adolescent boys, you know, shoot 'em ups and, uh, oh, the tough guys uh, the rambo's and the arnold schwarzenegger movies and oh the archetype i guess is hercules theseus anyway they sell the most overseas from africa to india canada to china sex and violence are the top dollar i call those the flash for flash for cash trash and trauma pictures Fortunately, there is a parallel development uh, it's coming out of the culture of compassion uh, It's going right alongside the death culture, the culture of cruelty uh, now it's funny because th- they both seem to be what is that uh developing separately. You would think that one would kind of kind of wash over the other, but anyway uh. As the veneer of civilization is always a very thin veil, kind of a cobweb, it can be torn aside very quickly, very easily, and uh, I'm afraid that I, I wince watching the violent films because I do think those images impact the psyches, the souls of young people. I remember so many... Many young people told me that when they watched the film, the m- films taken of nine eleven, the uh, horrors in the tween, uh, hitting the planes hitting those towers in New York, they said, "Oh, oh, it just looked like a movie, a disaster movie." Now, I, I don't think they're dumb. I think it's just that. Hmm, Somehow, the movies do seem to presage or to prophesy things. Uh, lately, there's so many movies about the end of the earth. Uh-huh. Anyway, what I think is interesting is the study of human nature, the psychodramas. Now, back in the 19th century, some playwrights got started on this stuff. But, uh, the psychodrama, the modern psychodrama, is pretty advanced. Uh, you know, uh, some of the narratives, stories, dramas, are just like the ones that the Greeks staged. You remember dysfunctional families, family feuds that escalate into wars. Human nature is always the same. The setting changes, of course, uh... Technology is what uh, looks so different. But, you know, Shakespeare's characters cut off heads and hands. They like to put them on what they call traitor's gate. Uh. (laughs) Oh, yes, indeed. All those beautiful Elizabethans, bloodthirsty as they come, talk about tortures. Anyway, the women uh, that are In Euripides' plays, those beautiful uh, Greek tragedies, they mourn their lost sons. The Greek chorus is something that we can see every time we turn on the television now. That war that destroyed Troy uh, is no different today in the Middle East. We see the same thing, Mesopotamia. All that tragedy. (laughs) Ah, well, of course. Today we have oil fires. (laughs) Chemicals, toxins, better weapons, drones instead of cannonballs. Oh, golly, I have really run out of time. I was going to tell you all about how International Women's Day got started. But I'll have to save it for next week. Uh, Till then... This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air next Tuesday. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow. of the 30th and finale Jewish Music Festival begin Thursday, March 5th at the New Parish in Oakland with Grammy winning Klezmatics. Other events include jazz bassoonist Paul Hansen and Ensemble, Quay Machinery founded by Jeremiah Lockwood of Balkan Beatbox, Jewish Christian Muslim Israeli combo d Saz, Kipka with the tribute to Ronnie Gilbert of the Weavers, a community chorus of Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah and more. Complete schedule and tickets at jewishmusicfestival.org or 800-838-3006. That's jewishmusicfestival.org or 800-838-3006. All events wheelchair accessible and accessible by BART. This program benefits the Jewish Community Center of the East Bay. And you're listening to KPFA, KPFB. KFC of Fresno Work Week Radio begins now.